This is the Cheryl Stroud Skin 365 Expert Podcast, and I'm Cheryl Stroud. Today, we are speaking with Mary Nielsen, a legend in the aesthetics industry. I am so excited to share with you an amazing leader, mentor, and educator in this field. We are going to talk about the changes in the aesthetics field, Mary's new book, Fearless Beauties, and how, as estheticians, we can participate in creating change in this world. But first, let's get to know a little bit more about Mary before I bring her on. Mary is a technician, educator, mentor, and business owner. She has been at the forefront in medical aesthetics since its infancy in the early 1990s. She is a certified advanced esthetician in the state of Oregon and a master esthetician in Washington. Mary is a licensed aesthetic instructor as well as a licensed nurse. She is currently vice chair and industry expert on the Oregon Board of Certified Advanced Estheticians. She is the author of A Compendium for Advanced Aesthetics, A Guide for the Master Esthetician, and Fearless Beauties, Treating Skin of Color with Confidence, which is a textbook and a workbook. Mary has authored four chapters in the newest Milady Standard Aesthetics Textbook, 12th edition. She is a diplomat with the American Board of Laser Surgery and Cosmetic Laser Procedures. She is the Executive Director of Spectrum Advanced Aesthetics, the founder of the Cascade Aesthetics Alliance, as well as the creator of Skintelligent Resources and Fearless Beauties. My first question for you is what changes you have been in this industry for so long and I have been so impressed by every time I turn a new stone over I read about you so what changes have you witnessed in aesthetics from a practitioner's perspective Wow, I think from a practitioner's perspective is that things have become more science-based far more technical with like proven studies behind whatever whatever is happening but also it's become more personal in that you've per, you personalize your services. There's a lot more of the niche, you know, practices happening. And then a lot of really connect, I think connecting with your clients on a more personal level to really personalize what you're doing for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what I'm seeing too. A lot more of that bespoke treatments and going, you know, very much into that scientific realm. So in the education part of it, what do you see as an important thing for the education part in aesthetics? I think that you can't, you can't mess up teaching some of the fundamentals of theory. You can't just gloss over uh, learning skin anatomy, skin histology. You can't miss and mess up on diseases and disorders. You've got to pay attention to chemicals. And of course, you know, safety and sanitation, I think, is more, has suddenly become highlighted even more. Even though I know people are like, well, I've always disinfected, but did you really? Or did you just take your cappy wipe and kind of do a little surface cleaning? Or are you now intentional about the way that you clean? So, I think there's some of that. The, those things, I think, have become more important, need now, to be more highlighted. Mm -hmm. 
So now you've been a contributor to one of the main books that most aesthetic schools use, Milady's Fundamentals. Um, yes. Have you gotten a hold of their new book? Then are you have were you part of that new variation with the two different books? Yes. So I wrote for in the new book I I wrote four chapters. I've written the disease and disorder, skin anatomy, skin analysis, and it's going to sound terrible that I can't remember the fourth one, but I can't remember the fourth one. <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, physiology and histology. Yes. All my favorite subjects. <laughs> so, and I did help with some of the instructor, with the instructor activities and that kind of thing. So uh, for all the chapters. Yep. I love the new books. I think they're really uh, it, like in order. They make sense now. Before, be, prior, they didn't really seem to make a lot of sense in which order of the chapters. So now they seem, you know, a lot more organized. But do you see now having written part of that book, that textbook, and what you just stated, that we're starting to see a really distinct track of wellness, health and wellness, and Medispa, making that yes. you know huge branching off. Yes, absolutely. I think that there's a whole, there's a whole wellness, um, gosh, a wellness track is a good word for it, but a wellness track that I think, I'm going to be honest, I think that Miladies has missed the boat on that wellness track. I think that corporate aesthetic education has missed the boat on the wellness track, and they've missed the boat, honestly, on the med spa track. There needs to be, and, uh, and it's because I feel like there's such a large corporation there ladies I think is part of an organization called Cengage which offers education in oh just tons and tons of different things so I think that the ladies part is definitely committed to the beauty industry but sometimes it's like moving the Titanic by the time they get around to realizing like oh you know what this is trendy now it's it's not trendy. It's a standard, right. you know. When they're count, well, I'm sorry, but microdermabrasion is advanced. Microdermabrasion has been around for 20 plus years, and right. it's advanced and something new. Goodness sakes, come on! Right. Everybody needs to take a little bit of a step forward and look, and not be so concerned that some of these things are just trendy. Right, but this wellness track isn't going to go away. We scientists are learning more and more about the connections between your your skin, your body, your environment, your oh, the overall like mind body connection too. Mind body, like, a holistic approach, having yeah. a holistic approach, nutrition in the skin. I mean, all of this stuff is so impactful, and I think. There isn't anything that really pulls, no, I want to say corporate education that pulls it all together right now. Right. Yeah, because I just see that the wellness is really heavy for, you know, even just like people who want to take it down a notch, get off the roller coaster ride, you know, of life and go actually relax and rejuvenate, recharge. Where the Medi Spa is those quick services, the quick fixes, the quick. Um, results. Non-invasive. Right, non-invasive. Um, you know, lunchtime uh, changes, so that they actually see those results quickly. But they're two different concepts in a in a consumer's mind, because they're yes. You know, using them for two different reasons. So yeah, I've been seeing that big division and trend, and 
glad that Milady's you know took that leap in, in updating, but I agree with you. It's just a kind of like a day late, a dollar short. <laughs> a little bit yeah, well and exactly and now you know these things are out and i'm like gosh but they're not going to update the textbook again for another six to eight years right six to eight years and you know right now my students um and i don't know about your students but they want to learn that the bb glow technique which is the yes. microneedling with the foundation that's semi-permanent they want to learn the plasma fiber fibroplasma fiberglass plasma pen yeah pen and then the other one with the lip plumping and i forget the the name of that one the hyaluron hyaluron pen. pen like those seem to be hot and heavy out there plus dermaplaning which also is considered advanced procedure i'm in connecticut but i'm licensed in new york as well new york we can do those things but in connecticut you can't we so. yeah in oregon you can do dermaplaning with your standard license Fibroblast, and we do teach fibroblast here. Well, we teach dermaplaning at the school, but we teach fibroblast as well for our advanced classes. We don't do the hyaluron pen, and we can't do the BB Glow because it's injecting pigment, and they can the state board considers that part of the it would be within the scope of practice of someone doing permanent makeup. So, but yes, there are lots of people that want to learn that. In your writing expertise, you have written a fabulous book that I have told almost every student who's interested about fearless beauties. So tell us why you wrote that book. Oh, that's going to be a long one. <laughs> uh, so fearless beauties. Okay. So uh, fearless beauties started probably about, probably just about two years ago in July. I noticed that my, and we are a very small school. We have four classes of six students in a class, but my student population was changing. I had many more students of color and my uh, client population, this, the clients that were coming in from the public to be treated by our students, because we offer reduced pricing for services, that was dramatically changing. We had a huge population of clients of color as well as transgender. We didn't have, honestly, we didn't have good protocols. We didn't have the right equipment. We didn't have knowledge, honestly, about how to care for skin of color. And textbooks were just so limited if we tried to find anything. It also was at the time when I was writing uh, for ladies. I was working on the textbook chapters for ladies, and I talked to them about I, here I am writing this skin histology and anatomy chapter. I want to get more information on skin of color. And their answer was, oh, no, no, no. We have a separate book for that. I'm like, you, there's a separate book. How come I don't know about this book? What, wh why am I not learning about this book? That's where I met Alish Pierce, who has treating diverse pigmentation. But it should not be a separate book. So that kind of got my wrinkles up and going. And it's really just a convergence of many things. Then I also had, okay, so that's happening. My student population changing, like we got to get better education. We've got to get some new equipment. I had to invest in different laser devices that were able to treat skin of color. So we needed to, to do that. Then I can say just in passing, my daughter who went to um, a college in Southern California just made it and she went to a college um that was kind of it was very ethnically diverse so they intentionally arranged that college so that she was white uh students were the minority 
the majority on campus were students of color. So she got came home with a very different perspective of just life in general as we're living it. And she was, you know, mom, not everyone sees things through the same lens that you do. They don't experience things in the same way that you're experiencing it. And that let me sort of go down the, the road of looking at white privilege. So that was a huge, you know, like eye opening for me. Those were kind of, oh, well, also I can say, sometimes people look at me and be like, what does this white grandma got to do with fearless beauties and skin of color? I have four children and two of my children have married people of color. So I have grandchildren of color. And I, in going shopping with my daughter-in-law, I could see things, I could begin to see things differently and understand a little bit more of the world from her perspective as I saw the way, I just saw things in new lights. So so that's when I thought, okay, now tying this all together, I am tying it together, Cheryl. I just went, you know what? I, I gathered my students and I gathered my instructors who are people of color and we met once a week and we just would do research and we would look up information we would choose, for example, black skin of African descent. Then let's actually look at scientific articles, National Institute of Health. Let's find real science behind and ways to, to educate students that it is more than just when when people think skin of color they think oh it's just melanin but it's really more than just melanin in my in my experiences of looking at this and doing the research so we with my team we did that for a while and then i just continued on with the research but finding out how the how diseases and disorders present themselves differently how um the skin histology is different um in different ethnicities and so that's sort of what started Fearless Beauties. Then we turned it into a curriculum for our school, made a book out of it. And then somebody asked us to talk somewhere. I think a student who was talking about something, a graduate. So we went and talked there and it just sort of snowballed. Last year we were invited to, gosh, about eight different locations where we went and just talked about Fearless Beauties for the day. And now COVID-19 has kind of stopped us from traveling in 2020. So we're working on an online program. Hopefully it'll be done in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that's great. And we have a second edition to the book. All We've right. Added, um, adding chapters on cultural appropriation and adding chapters on uh, indigenous people. Wow, that's exciting. So um, how has skin of color been different to treat? Well, I think almost all skin of color shares some of the same characteristics, which is greater chance for PIH, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, for sure. Greater chance of transepidermal water loss. Skin tends to, even though some skin has more oil glands, they still tend to have more sensitivities. Greater chance of acne, melasma, um, and I think a lot of that tends tends to be with, I want to say, evolutionary changes and adapting to uh, a European diet, 
because our, you know, our, our country is extremely Eurocentric. We have the Eurocentric view of beauty. People of color are often made to feel that they're less than or they're uh, somehow don't reach the American standards of beauty because they don't have blue eyes and blonde hair. Um, so I kind of rambled there, but. <laughs> That's okay. Well, you know, and also now skin of color is really a, a true term as in it's not just a specific group any longer because mixing of all of those um, oh, exactly. Ethnicity is our country just, is right now. Our, like, our country is becoming more and more, just as in the case of my children, more and more multi-ethnic, right? Multi-ethnic, blended um, ethnicities. That, that I think the prediction is in the next 40 years, over 50% of our country is going to be multi-ethnic. And so you can't necessarily rely on the Fitzpatrick scale and look at someone and go, oh, well, you're a two. Or what's your heritage? Oh, I'm Irish. Well, you don't, that doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. Right. And it's harder to uh, treat the skin in general, just across all the spectrums. Because, for instance, uh, an example, my husband has a white grandmother. So he's he's a Fitzpatrick six and he's really dark, but he has a Irish white grandmother. He's I call him Palomino because he's got all these like uh you know like horse patterns on his back of different colors or shades of brown to white. It's just you know different pigments in different areas. Yeah. So to treat skin like that, you have to be very careful because we're we're not doing a, a blanket Fitzpatrick treatment anymore. You know, he has a different kind of sensitivity, and he does burn, believe it or not. He, when he's out in the sun, he gets red. He's getting yes. little red cheeks. So the thing is, is that that would not fit into the old way of doing things. Amazing, like, excitement I got when I, I think I came across you doing a webinar of Skin Inc., and you had this cute little commercial in between lectures or something. Oh. Like a little video. It was really great. And the, I ran out and got the book the next day um and then as i started reading it i started telling students because we're in the our, you know I'm, I'm experiencing the same thing in my teaching that the demographics is changing and they had something that they could relate to and study and you know really feel good about learning and i you know i remember uh, in atlanta i met a black woman who's telling me you know i'm thinking i was thinking from my perspective, all of our students, one of the things that we do here is they do a DNA skin test and they do the swab and they send it off and then they get their DNA back. And um, they don't have to share with the class, it's just for their own personal, but if they want to. But surprisingly, you know, if they find out they may have African, uh, some African DNA in them. So that that also helps us in determining what kind of treatments we're going to use because then we know okay their skin's going to react differently mm -hmm. for this woman that i was talking to in atlanta she was saying you know you, you talk about doing that with your student she said i went to three different dermatologists i had a skin condition couldn't figure it out couldn't figure it out no one could tell me what was wrong with me she said i finally i did a dna test and she said i'm part irish and she was a Fitzpatrick six. I'm part Irish. And she said, so it's rosacea. So when I told my doctor, I think it's rosacea, he said, oh, no, black people don't get rosacea. Mm. But no, I've got Irish genetics. And so that's where my rosacea is coming from. 
Right. And I think that we have to think about that when we're doing our consultations and our treatment plans, that people are going to have all these different blended ethnicities and a DNA soup that we're going to have to really sort through and think about when we're, when we're working on skin. Absolutely. And just something like this book really elevates the industry. And that's what I'm starting to see is the industry is getting elevated because we are the ones that spend time with our clients as opposed to a dermatologist who just, you know, an hour visit, scripts it out and says, see you next, you know, tell me when it's not working. Right. Um, so we're, you know, we're the ones who are spending this time and I get goosebumps um, when I hear things like DNA testing and I just finished a seminar where they talked about um, our blood can tell us pretty much everything. And, you know, I'm always thinking, how can I get into that? How can I get that and bring that to skincare? You know, who do we have to work with to find a way to prick a finger and, and look at these red blood cells under a microscope? So, yes. yeah, it's just really neat. But we're going to be the ones, estheticians are going to be the ones, I think, that brings it to the forefront. Doctors may steal it from us later, but <laughs> I think that, you know, because we spend that time with everybody. Well, I agree. Yes, and we become really that, I think... What has elevated our industry is that more and more we have the we have more and more access to more and more knowledge, more and more education, and I think that it's changing the industry so that we are viewed as a professional, so that we are, I think we are part of a um, like a mid almost I want to say a mid level provider in taking care of someone's skin. Yeah. I remember when the first place I worked, my the office manager there felt that I was, so I am a nurse by trade or, or originally. Mm -hmm. I took a cut and pay to become their esthetician on staff and I was constantly fighting to get the same pay that I had as a nurse, feeling like I'm okay, yes, I'm not injecting, I'm not, you know, changing dressings, that sort of thing. But I'm still using skills on the skin. And her response was, I could get the clinic counter girl to do what you do. Yeah. And <laughs> I think, and that was, that was like 25 years ago. I think that we have far elevated and I don't want to put down the clinic counter girl, but you don't have to have a skincare education to be to be doing that. And I think that we have elevated our level of education and elevated our expertise so that we are viewed in a more professional. This isn't just like a job of selling Mary Kay or Avon. We're really, I think, doing important work. Absolutely, because we're doing, we're affecting the skin, but we're also affect, affecting the mind. You know, because a yes. lot of people who have um, maladies on their face that's visible, uh, affects their self-esteem and we we can change that by helping them manage it you know we manage acne we don't cure it um, we help to improve lines and wrinkles the visible lines and wrinkles for someone who's you know feeling that they're getting old before their time you know there's we change somebody's physiology in terms of their inner thoughts so we do a huge um, service for people Right. And no, absolutely. In addition to just changing the structure or changing the their skin, we're working on their emotional health, right? Mental mm -hmm. health and self-esteem. 
Right. And then we're sort of like little mini coaches, right? Because when, when, yes. when our clients are with us, it's like a hairdresser. They tell us everything. That is absolutely true. <laughs> so you touched on this a little bit earlier, but you have a statement in your book that says, as Americans, we need to recognize and legitimize the minorities within our country may have different standards for beauty and different ways of honoring and respecting that beauty. So what do you mean by that? And how can estheticians help change that? I think that, um, I think that for a long time, aesthetics, the beauty industry, honestly, in whole has, has marginalized or ignored, not recognized or missed or misrecognized skin of color. Uh, for example, just makeup shades, just shades of foundation. For how long has there been, you know, I don't know what, six shades of foundation, not till Rihanna came out with the Fenty brand and all of a sudden manufacturers realized like, oh, women of color have disposable income and they will spend it on makeup now, right? So yeah. it's all of a sudden realizing there's a consumer aspect out here with disposable income that they deserve, but why didn't they deserve to have makeup options for themselves? Why didn't they deserve to have that? It isn't taking away from anything that we have to be able to expand our our options, expand options for treating skin. I'm just... Yeah, I think Mary, you know, part of it is always money, right? If there's no, if there's no profit in it, they're not gonna do it. So to make a million different shades wasn't profitable, right? There is a, they saw a portion of the market that would spend and guarantee it. And then, you know, making all the larger colors just wasn't profitable at the time. Then uh, a role model though made the difference, I believe, when uh, Rihanna made the line. You know, because it's a role model that they could believe in and understood believed in, you know, understood them. I'm not a he-man woman-hater clubber, (laughs) (laughs) but I do have to say this, that most corporations are run by white males and that, and they don't have any, they don't have any, um, focus outside of a horse's, um, blinders, right? They just only see what they want to see because it's the bottom line dollar where Rihanna hit a different space because she was their role model. She didn't care how the colors were going to be produced because she needed it. She saw that they needed it and they were willing to buy it and pay for it. And a white male just doesn't see that in any aspect, I don't believe. No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I hate to say that, but I just, I just feel just in all things, just all things that are made for women, men are making them. And I don't know, I'm always searching for a way to get girls interested in sciences and um, and math and stuff like that because if they were making things, we would have such a better selection of anything, much more comfortable selection, um, much more reasonable selection of things, you know. Yes, but I, no, I understand. And I think, you know, I think changing our standards of beauty so that we're not so Eurocentric, so that we recognize that it doesn't have to be blonde hair and blue eyes that we consider beautiful and you know there have been some inroads to that but even you know going back to denise williams and being the first uh black miss usa i mean 
you know, the black community didn't think she was black enough. The white community thought she was too black. And so, and, and with the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement is very big here in Portland every night. Uh, there are marches, and I think that it's just time that we honor people of color, women of color, particularly black women at this time, and really recognize that they have been entrepreneurs, that they have success. The media tends to highlight the white woman of success. And, you know, if we are going to, in, uh, going to be highlighting women, it's, I think that it's time that we look at black women who have been successful in addition to Oprah, right? Because we all, right. yeah, we've got Oprah, but there should, there's more Oprahs out there that we need to, it's their turn for the limelight for sure. So if we get back to the education for a minute, um, how is developing a more inclusive education going to impact our industry? I think it's just going to up that level of professionalism, like I talked about, where people are really going to be seen as their skin care providers, their skin care therapists in a level that is above, it's just an entire education and, and level above because they've got the expertise to be able to look at all skin. They've got the, the uh, consultation skills to dive in and learn more about how someone's maybe nutrition and diet or their home, their lifestyle skill or their lifestyle habits or their maybe their cultural uh, background how that is all going to be influenced in a holistic way affecting their skin but also how that influences the rest of their entire health is there anything else that you see that's going on in the education field or with um, fearless beauties that you would want to share with people oh wow you know those things that really you know get you the things that really get me <laughs> uh, for instance I would really like to see some kind of blending of nursing and aesthetics oh well get me on that one let's get <laughs> so I would gosh if I was just 20 years younger I feel like I just came to the party so late um, if I was 20 years younger, I would honestly, my goal, once the COVID-19 and all of this stuff goes away, I would love to see um, a creation of an aesthetic injector position or licensure or role because I, because right now, and that aesthetic, and I envision this an aesthetic injector position being someone who has, you've gone to standard aesthetic school. You've gone to an advanced aesthetics program. So you un are understanding some of the high, higher energy devices, lasers, fibroblast, cool sculpting. Then you get an aesthetic injector certification. You should not, I don't believe, have to go to nursing school to learn how to inject Botox or neuromodulators, dermal fillers you should be able to have a very strong and solid science of anatomy and physiology of the face, that kind of thing. But I don't think you really need to go to school and learn about bedpans and dressing changes and ER medicine and all those kinds of things. I just don't think that's necessary, but I think that aesthetics is booming. More and more people are you know, drawn to Botox and fillers. And so having someone who could do all of that, right, who's got that, 
capability of doing all of that, I think just makes sense from a consumer perspective of here's a person I trust who already knows my skin. They already know how I'm gonna respond. They're gonna understand the science behind the different hyaluronic acid or you know, calcium hydroxyapatite or whatever the chemical or the formula is molecular formula for these dermal fillers and then understanding how the neuromodulators work, understanding how the muscles of the face and neck work, the blood vessel supplies and all of that stuff. I think that makes sense to me. Now, Mary, you, you said you were a nurse before becoming a esthetician and I'm sure you have taught many a nurse as estheticians, as have I. And I bet you you hear the same thing I do. Wow, we didn't learn this in nursing school about the yes. face and the muscles of the face and the names of them. Just that part. Forget about anything else. So, <laughs> so when you when you say to me, oh, we don't need to go to, to nursing school for bedpans. I'm so on board with that because the nurses that I've taught don't even know it. Couldn't even. They, and then a lot of them say, I wish that you were my teacher. In, med, in nursing school for anatomy and physiology because you make it so easy to understand. We'll find a way to get that uh, happening between the two of us. <laughs> because <laughs> Well, I'm, I think so. I think your organization, so, so now you tell me a little bit about this national organization you're thinking of. Well, it's, this is your interview. But, <laughs> um, it is to elevate the field in education in what we're just talking about and trying to put together some kind of program. So that's what um, NESA, that's what um, National Aesthetics Specialist Association, because I didn't want to just do es um, estheticians or that word, because specialists could be your microbladers, your dermaplaners. Yeah, your, no, you know, I love that. And stuff, so to be inclusive that way and not make it so uh, narrow-minded. I love that. So, just so you know, I'm revamping in my audience. Um, I'm revamping my website, so you will be able to um, click on a link and go right to Amazon and buy Mary's book, Fearless Beauties, and the workbook. So, Mary, actually explain that to everybody because that gets confusing sometimes when they when I send people to the um, I say, oh, go get the book, cool. and they don't realize that they're supposed to get the workbook as well. Yes. So the workbook is just an added supplement for people who, who might have a different learning style where just reading something doesn't necessarily sink in. Maybe they need to read it and then each chapter in the book has a corresponding chapter in the workbook that just helps kind of reinforce some of the concepts that are in the book. And then this new additional material, when is that coming out? What can we look forward to seeing? I would say it would be ready for print by the end of August. I have I actually have an editor and a um, and a formatter, so the editor has one last chapter to finish editing, and then it goes to the formatting person, who then formats it all out, and then it will go to the printer. And then you mentioned I thought you mentioned some kind of video audio component, or so we're also working on having an online course so that people could. Um, take the online course it will be it's going to be a little bit differently laid out than the chapters in the book although and it will be much more 
uh, I want to say content. The book, the book, somebody said your book is a little bit uh, scientific, but it's also a little sociological where I've got a little almost vignette about somebody who has either been a student at our school or who's an instructor at our school and sort of their story as a person of color. Those are not going to be in the online in the online format, but just it will be the science, diseases and disorders, skin skin differences, and then treatments, treatment plans, that kind of thing. Fantastic. So where does every where does someone find all this? Where do they go? We will have it on our website, fearlessbeauties.org. All right. So and then they can buy the book there as well as an Amazon. Yes. And um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's your Instagram handle or your Facebook handle? Well, you can find us, uh, our, we're Fearless Beauties is our Instagram. My personal Instagram is your SD Godmother. Love it. And um, yeah, same thing, Facebook. All right. So is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would want to talk about in terms of Fearless Beauty or um, skincare education? I do want to tell you that people should be sure to tune in and uh, watch on our social media, but we are going to be launching a Fearless Beauties podcast coming up in the next two weeks. We were going to launch the same day as Michelle Obama's podcast, and I was like, oh, no, we got to change the date. <laughs> but uh, we'll be launching that, and we're going to have a Facebook Live for our launch. Oh, nice. And so... Um... People just look for that launch announcement Yes, there will be some announcements. We'll have a couple. If you get on our Fearless Beauties um, Instagram, we'll have some contests and some giveaways, and um, that will all be coming up by the end of the week, and then we should be launching probably the first week in, in August. Well, Mary, this was so much fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and there's much more I want to talk to you about in general. Just Cheryl, we gotta get so get this COVID nineteen so we can travel and then we can just hang out and we can. I think we would have a lot of fun. Yeah, I think so too. I want to thank Mary for taking the time out to speak with us. What a great guest to have on this podcast. I hope you learned a lot from her as well. I'm Cheryl Strap, and you've been listening to Skin Three Sixty Five Dot Expert, the podcast. You can follow Skin365.expert and Cheryl Rushy Stroud on Instagram or visit us on Skin365.expert on the web. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Skin365.expert conversation. Thank you for listening.